Rodriguez goes wild at the plate, no one breaks out in hives, and the Tigers go out and beat up on the Angels for a 10-3 win. I'll break down the win, preview this afternoon's series finale, talk a little bit about Mike Fires and pushing for 500 and the international amateur market on today's Locked on Tigers podcast. It is Thursday, May 9th, 2019, and I am your host, Chris Brown, and here's to hoping you're having a wonderful day. And I just remind you to go ahead and download, rate, and review Locked on Tigers on your favorite podcasting app like iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Himalaya. And if you have a smart device, go ahead and tell it to play podcast Locked on Tigers. So yeah, not a whole lot of pregame news and notes, so let's get right into this. Matthew Boyd versus Tyler Skaggs. And in the first inning, Matthew Boyd gives up a home run to David Fletcher on the third pitch of the game. It was a 2-0 pitch. John Hicks, the catcher, wanted it low and in, and Boyd left it over in the middle of the plate in the top of the zone, and Fletcher took it deep. Just the third home run that Boyd has given up all year. And spoiler alert, only run Boyd would give up in the game. He gets Trout to pop out, strikes out Shohei Otani on three pitches, and gets a pop out from Andrew Simmons. A great recovery after that first home run. Bottom of the first... You get a Jamer Candelaria pop-up, and then Nick Castellanos with a ground single to the right side to beat the shift, extends his hitting streak to 11 games, and then Cabrera walks. Nico Goodrum hits kind of a medium ground ball to shortstop. Sort of an ideal double play ball, but Goodrum's pretty fast, and he beats it out. So first and third with two outs. And then Ronnie Rodriguez hits a liner to left center field. Left fielder Brian Goodwin made a very ill-advised decision to dive, and the ball got past him. And so that became a two-run triple instead of possibly a one-run single. It's 2-1 Tigers. The John Hicks comes up and bunts, and he pops out in what? I, I guess he was trying to catch them off guard and steal a run with, like, a squeeze bunt, but uh, I don't know. It didn't work out. Rod Allen would have said it was a good idea because Rod never met up a bunt he didn't like. Angels go 1-2-3 in the second inning with a strikeout. Tigers go basically 1-2-3 in the bottom of the second. There's a Beckham walk in there, but uh, nothing happens. Top of the third, there's a ground ball to Ronnie Rodriguez at second base that goes under his glove and bounces off his foot for an error. This is kind of the story of Ronnie Rodriguez hitting everything hard, including the ball off his foot. A strikeout to Zach Cozart on a fastball, but then he gives up a double down the line to Fletcher again. He's kind of a pest. And so it's second and third with one out for Trout. But Boyd goes right after him instead of trying to pitch around him, and you have to love that. And he struck him out. Up and in on a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. It was a great pitch, great sequence, really good. Uh, there's a wild pitch that seems like it would score Cole Calhoun, but he gets halfway and stops, and then Boyd gets Otani to ground out, so it stays 2-1 Tigers. So that was a, a great escape from Boyd. The bottom of the third begins with Nick Castellanos getting hit by a pitch, and then Emil Cabrera hard liner up the middle, and a Nico liner to right field that was a shoe-top grab. So it's one out, men on first and second. And then Ronnie Rodriguez up again with a hard line single to left field. He makes it 3-1, and both runners move up on the throw home. And Matt Shepard, for the love of God, stop trying to make fetch happen. He keeps saying the player wears a crown when he gets a big hit or an RBI, and it's just not working. Whatever you're going for, please stop. But anyway, 3-1. John Hicks comes in, gets a sack fly. It was like five feet from the warning track, and yet he almost threw out Cabrera at home. And, and it was a good throw, but Cabrera just... He apparently doesn't like to slide anymore because he ran awkwardly into home plate and slipped a little bit on the plate, but that wasn't good. Anyway, 4-1 Tigers. That's it. Top of the fourth. Angels go 1-2-3 again. Matt Boyd is good. Bottom fourth. Gordon Beckham just misses a home run to left field. You know, missed it by about five feet probably. And then there's a a Jacoby Jones pop-out to the foul territory that Jonathan Lucre made a great play leaning into the dugout. And then the Candelario Papa ends it. Top of the fifth, Boyd gets him 1-2-3 again. And then in the bottom of the fifth, Castellanos begins the inning with a deep fly ball to center field that's caught. And Cabrera strikes out, so there's two down. But then Nico Goodrum with a bloop single to right field. Just his second hit versus a left-hander this year. 
Uh, and one of the things I really like about Kirk Gibson as an analyst and as the color guy is as soon as the ball hit the ground, he started talking about Nico Goodrum stealing second. And Matt Shepard was asking him why, and he was explaining everything, and he had this whole plan mapped out where he would fake going to second once or twice, take two throws, and then go. And you could see it happening on, in real time. And then Goodrum did try to steal second, and he had it. But Ronnie Rodriguez spoiled it by hitting foul ball. But it was it was a nice window into the mind of a base stealer. But Ronnie made up for it by hitting another hard ball down the left field line, an RBI double. It's 5-1 Tigers. Then John Hicks with a laser double to left center field makes it 6-1. Brandon Dixon with a hard single back in the middle makes it 7-1, and that's it for Tyler Skaggs. He's out. Not very good. No Ramirez comes in, and he walks Gordon Beckham. And then he gets a Jacoby Jones grounder to third base, but Cozart throws it wide to first, and Jones is safe, and it's 8-2 Tigers. Candelera ends the inning with a strikeout, but yeah, this one's been blown open. So that was a long inning for, for Matthew Boyd, but he comes out and immediately gets a ground out. He gets another strikeout of Trout on a fastball up. Then he hits Shohei Otani and gives up an infield single to Enderton Simmons, but gets out of it barely. He gives up a deep fly ball to Albert Pujols that Nico Goodrum catches running into the wall of left field. But that's it. Probably a homer when it's warmer, but that's the end of the day for Boyd. And he was outstanding again. Six innings pitched. 93 pitches, 50 fastballs, 37 sliders, 12 swings and misses, pretty average. 11 of the 16 balls hit in play were less than 95 miles an hour. His ERA is now down to 2.86, and there's just not a whole lot to say about Matthew Boyd other than he's good. He keeps proving it to us time and time again. You know, bottom of the sixth inning, still no Ramirez in there. He gets a 1-2-3 inning. Seventh inning, Daniel Stump comes in, gives up, gets a fly out, and he gives up a home run to left field to Jonathan Lucroy that was almost an identical pitch and result to the leadoff homer from Fletcher at the start of the game. Hicks wanted it low and in. Stump left it up and over the heart of plate at 91 miles an hour, and it went out of the stadium. But Stump bounces back and gets the next two outs. Seventh inning, Luis Garcia comes in for the Angels, gets the Tigers 1-2-3. Top of the eighth, Joe Jimenez is in. And he gets the pesky second baseman Fletcher to ground out. Then he strikes out Mike Trout down the middle at 95. So if you're counting, that's 0 for 4 for Trout with three strikeouts. And then he strikes out uh, Otani at 96. So that was pretty nice. Bottom of the eighth, old Cleveland closer Cody Allen comes in. And Gordon Beckham hits a bomb of a leadoff triple to right center field. And then right after that, Jacoby Jones crushes a two-run homer to left center field. 110 miles an hour off the bat, 445 feet. Just destroyed it. And it's 10-2, and Cody Allen looks toast. Uh, that's about it for the inning. And then so the top of the ninth, the Tigers try to close it out with Reed Garrett, get him some action. And he, he gives up an infield single to the shift, but gets a ground out and then a strikeout on a really nice breaking ball below the zone at 88. It looks like he's going to get out of it. But then he gives up a ground ball just down the line to Jonathan Lucroy to make it 10-3. to Then he walks a batter and he gives up a hard liner to left field. And so the bases are loaded and you're like, oh, God, do we get to get Shane Green up in this 10-3 to game? But he gets Fletcher to ground out. And that's it. The Tigers win 10-3. to so that was fun, and, and today's afternoon tilt should be a corker if they play. I, I, they're talking about thunderstorms, not entirely sure when, but generally when you've got cross-country teams like this playing and, and they're only visiting each other once a year, they're going to try to get the game in. You don't want to do a one-day cross-country flight later in the season. So uh, anyway, yeah, Tyson Ross was supposed to start, but his start was pushed back, so instead the Tigers send down Jose Fernandez and bring up Ryan Carpenter, the 28-year-old lefty who owns a 4.09 year in Toledo this year. And for their part, the Angels appear to be going with an opener. They haven't announced a starter. So we could see relievers Cam Bedrosian or Felix Pena work the first inning or two. Now, Carpenter made five starts for the Tigers last year, which I don't remember at all. It was a rough year. But one of them was against the Angels, and it was probably his best. Four innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, three strikeouts. Uh, backup catcher Kevin Smith hit a homer against them, but nobody else had done much of anything. Uh, and that was against the White Sox. So 
who knows, whatever. Carpenter throws five pitches, a four-seam fastball, a sinker, a slider, a change of curve. None of the pitches are very good. The curve shows some promise, but he hardly ever throws it. It's like a 10% pitch. And he gives up a lot of home runs, so I'd be kind of shocked if Mike Trout doesn't take him deep today. The Tigers team is 0 for 6 against Cam Bedrosian, if that's the one who starts. Uh, Jordy Mercer has a double against Pena, but really that's it. They haven't seen either of these guys a whole lot. And since I don't really know who's going to pitch, I can just say Bedrosian's a fastball slider guy. Slider is solid. Payne is mostly a sinker slider guy, and he limits hard contact. Can't really call which way this one will go. And so let's finish up with some questions. I've got some good ones today. The first one comes from Rob, and he said, Can you talk about Fires' no-hitter? Did the Tigers get anything for him? And yes, he's referring to Mike Fires, the former Tigers starting pitcher who threw a no-hitter on Tuesday night. And remember the other day I said Homer Bailey might be the worst pitcher ever to have two no-hitters? Well, now Mike Fires is up in that conversation. Although, you know, I kind of like Fires. But, uh, yeah, I didn't watch the game. Saw some highlights. But I can also sort of sort through the stats the way I do with Tigers games. And I see that Mike Fires threw 131 pitches, which is kind of unheard of these days. Although, I guess with a no-hitter, they'll let veterans do that. He only got 12 swings and misses. But that's never been his game. You know, he, in his first no-hitter, he got 14 swings and misses. Uh, so he's, he's not a guy who's going to blow up by you. He's more of a weak contact guy. And sure enough, he got six, six of the 19 balls in play against him. On Tuesday, we're hit 95 miles an hour plus, so he held down the higher contact. And only four of the balls had an expected batting average of above 250. So you know, lots of weak contact, and he got some help on defense, like you always have to do in a no-hitter. He got a diving catch from second baseman Jerks and Profar, kind of out in right field. And then center fielder Ramon Laureano jumped up over the wall to rob Joey Votto of a home run. And one of those strange things, too, the game was actually delayed like 90 minutes because of a lighting issue in the Oakland Coliseum, one of the finest stadiums on the planet. Now, so did the Tigers get anything for Mike Fires? Well, not really. They got two right-handed pitchers, uh, Logan Shore and Nolan Blackwood. Shore is technically a prospect, although it's a profile I really don't like at all. He was a second-rounder in 2016 out of the University of Florida, where he was actually the Friday night starter, which is generally the top starter, ahead of first-round picks A.J. Puck and Alex Fajardo and Dane Dunning. Uh, but he hasn't been terribly productive in pro ball. He's got a career ERA around four, and in double-A it's been 5.18 in just under 90 innings. And the problem I have is, is it's a fringe-average fastball, an above-average changeup, and a below-average breaking ball with above-average command. And it's just, I don't know what you do with that. And this is something that Mark Anderson from Tigestown hit home with for me a couple of years ago. It's like, how many right-handed pitchers, pitcher uh, starters, relievers either, are successful in the majors with just a fastball and a changeup? There are some for sure, like Luis Castillo of the Reds is doing it this year, but he's got a 96-mile-an-hour fastball and maybe the best changeup in baseball. And Chris Paddock is an outstanding rookie for the, the Padres. He's doing it this year. But again, we're talking about mid-90s fastball, a 70-grade changeup, and like 70 command. Kyle Hendricks has a you know 40-grade fastball or worse, but he has a plus changeup and maybe 80-grade command. And none of this applies to Logan Shore. He's just kind of a fringe average across the board guy. I know maybe if he moves to the pen, he can kick it up a little bit, but still, I don't know if there's anything there when you've got just those two pitches and neither of them are outstanding. I haven't seen him, though. I'll say that. I'm not a scout, so maybe he'll end up being better than, than I think, but I don't think there's much there. And the other pitcher there quite is Nolan Blackwood. He's not really a prospect. He's a tall, skinny sidearmer who can run his fastball in the low 90s which is unusual for side armors. But there's not much else there. He's a low 80s change and kind of a traditional side armor sweepy breaking ball. He might land in the bullpen at some point as a righty ground ball specialist, but the odds are that he's just kind of your basic novelty. So yeah, not, not a ton of return for Mike Fires. And I got a question from Brett. He says, what is your over-under for wins for the Tigers this year? I've argued with a friend of mine that this, this Tigers team could flirt with a 500 record this year. Is 75 to 80 wins asking too much of this team, or are we leaning towards more of a 65 to 75 win season? So before the year, I, I predicted 68 wins heading into the season. But I think we can all agree that Tigers have started off better than we expected. I, I mean, 15 and 17 isn't anything special, but I bet most of us figured more like 10 and 22 at this point. 
particularly after Fulmer went down. But the pitching has been surprisingly good. I don't think anyone saw Boyd being a top 10 pitcher and Spencer Turnbull authoring like a stealth rookie of the year campaign so far. At the same time, the offense has been much worse than I expected. I still think that those will start to balance out more later in the season when the weather gets warmer, but I don't think I can go much higher than 68 wins, even still. Fangrass is now projecting them for 71 wins, which seems reasonable. But the one thing I come back to is the run differential. The Tigers have been outscored by 36 runs so far this year, and that's generally the one way to tell the quality of a team, how, how many more runs you've scored or how many fewer runs you've scored. And you know, I think the Tigers have been a little bit unlucky this year, but that's also been offset by Shane Green being lights out as a closer. Usually you have a closer blow it and you lose a game or two that you shouldn't. So yeah, for now I'm going to stick with 68 wins, though I can see a scenario where the, the hitting comes together and the pitching stays like it is and the Tigers scratch their way to 75 wins, but I don't think 80 is possible this year, no. And finally, I've got a question from Jacob, and this is about international baseball, or at least the international market. He said, MLB released their top 30 international prospects, and they don't have the Tigers as a favorite to land any of them. The Padres and Yankees are the favorites to land like three guys each. Shouldn't this be alarming for an organization like the Tigers that desperately need young talent? Why does it seem like we have trouble landing big-time international free agents every year? So first, I think I need to do a little background here. Uh, Setting aside trades, there are two ways for MLB teams to acquire amateur talent. One is the draft, which is coming up in less than a month and allows teams to select players from high schools, junior colleges, and colleges in the United States, Canada, and U.S. territories like Puerto Rico. There are some complications there. You have to be a junior in college or at least 21 to get drafted from a four-year school. And things get wacky if you're a service academy member, like in the Navy or the Army or whatever. But that's the draft. The other main way to get amateur talent is on the international market. And every year beginning on July 2nd, teams are free to sign 16-year-olds from around the world though most commonly they come from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. This is how a ton of exciting young talent gets into the majors. You're talking Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., <laughs> Eloy Jimenez. It's, uh, it's a really nasty business, though. There have been multiple scandals over the years, most recently involving teams like the Dodgers and the Braves, where the Atlanta general manager, John Coppolella, actually got banned from baseball for life for his role in a scandal. And you can go back and look at a movie called Pelotero about this and, and about kind of the nastiness that happens. In, it was starring... Miguel Sano, who went on to the majors, and another kid who ended up having a false birth certificate. And in that movie, they actually suggested that Major League Baseball floated fake age rumors about Miguel Sano to get his bonus down. It's, it's, it's just a nasty business. But anyway, talented kids from these countries get identified at a very young age. Like, we're talking 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then they join up with trainers called Buscones, who are kind of like a part caretaker, part coach, part teacher, part agent, and part venture capitalist. They invest in these kids and, and, you know, put years of training in them in the hopes that they go on to get signed for a big deal, and then the Buscones get a big cut of that. So in the past, this was a bit of a free-for-all. Teams could spend as much money as they wanted on international players, though spending sort of handled itself because these are the riskiest investments to make. So nobody was ever really signed for more than 4 or $5 million. But then a few teams, uh, namely the Dodgers again, just went bonkers. They were like, well, to hell with this. And they started handing out like $20 million deals and $50 million deals. And flash forward, now there's a hard cap on the amount of, amount of money teams can spend on the international market. It's usually between $4.75 million and $5.75 million, although teams can trade for more. But it's still a nasty business down there, and you kind of have to get in the mud. And I'm not saying the Tigers are too good to do that. I'm just saying they're not terribly good at it. And so when you see a list of the top international talents at MLB Pipeline or Baseball America, the descriptions say so-and-so is linked to the Yankees, or he's expected to sign with the Padres, or he's getting interest from the Royals. Those are all ways of saying that he has already signed with that team. In some cases, a year or two ago, when they're like 13 or 14. They just can't be finalized until this July 2nd. And so, yes, Jacob's question refers to the recent MLB Pipeline list of the top 30 international prospects. And if you look at the player capsules, 28 of the 30 players are linked to clubs already, and none of them are linked to the Tigers. However, 
And a big hat tip to Roger Castillo, my podcasting partner at Tigers SRD. Uh, within the body of the article attached to that top 30 list, they mention this. Quote, it, but it's worth noting that Cuban infielders Roberto Campos, 15, who is expected to sign with the Tigers, and Michael Trena, 18, who is expected to sign with the Reds, narrowly missed the cut for players eligible to sign in July. So it sounds like there is a potential top 30 talent there for the Tigers, but he's just too young? I don't know, maybe I'm reading that incorrectly. But I did some digging, and there's not much to find out about this kid. The main story that comes up is one about two brothers, Raul Campos Proenza and Roberto Campos Proenza, who defected from Cuba at a tournament in the Dominican Republic back in late July of 2016. And at that time, Roberto was 13, and he won the MVP of the tournament. So I'm going to guess that that's the same kid, and he's just kind of removed that surname. So maybe that will allay our concerns a bit. I'd say this for now. It's probably a little too early to get upset. Baseball America usually does a top 50 international players, too, so we'll see how they stand there. And it is a bummer to not see them in on the very best players, but they seemingly haven't strayed too far from their old habits of spreading the bonuses out with a bunch of deals in the more like $300,000 to $500,000 range rather than big multi-million dollar deals. They did go relatively big last year with a couple of kids, the outfielder Jose De La Cruz and the infielder Adenso Reyes. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. You know, there hasn't been a ton of turnover in any aspect of the Tigers organization, so I don't expect them to change too much. And they haven't had a ton of success in the international market, but they did, you know, get some guys that they could use in trades, and that's another function of getting kids like this. So, hope that answers your question. And that is it for the show today. I thank everybody for listening, and everybody for contributing those questions. And we'll see if the Tigers can get this game in today. And if they do or don't, I'll be here tomorrow to break things down for you. And I think I'm going to do a deep dive into Ronnie Rodriguez because this is getting kind of ridiculous. I'm going to find out where he came from, what he's doing, if it's sustainable. Uh, But yeah, go ahead and send me questions or comments to LockedOnTigers at gmail.com or LockedOnTigers at Twitter or ChrisBrown0914 at Twitter. And hey, tell your friends about the show if you think they might like it because it's always nice to get more people to listen. So thanks again, and I'll be back tomorrow to finish off the week. Have a good one.